Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Zoe Quinn. She's an independent game developer and author. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com. Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today I'm excited to have Zoe Quinn. She's an independent game developer and author. And she's going to talk to us about um, social media, gaming, uh, the future of gaming. This is something that I actually care about. I have, I have a bunch of kids who play a bunch of games. Uh, and I get a little bit worried. Welcome, Zoe. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, super. So... Why don't you tell us about the book that you just wrote? Uh, that's that's what really uh, piqued my interest. Sure. So uh, I just had uh, my book, Crash Override, How Gamergate Nearly Destroyed My Life and How We Can Win the Fight Against Online Hate come out a few weeks ago. Oh, or last week. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. been, I've been on tour. I have yeah, you've been on tour. Yeah, I've got plain brains. I still have... Um, <laughs> I think I have like another month and a half of touring left to go to, which is it's fun. Um but yeah, so the book basically details uh, a lot of my time being at the center of the whole Gamergate thing a few mm-hmm. years ago. Um, but that's like a small part of it in comparison to the overall point of the book, which is sort of like not just to like relitigate what happened to me because that's far less interesting, but to talk about like what you do about stuff like this and what we can all do and what <clears throat> massive institutions like tech and government and what have you are doing, what's working and what's not. Okay, so let's let's define some terms. So I guess I guess when you were when you're experiencing this, what was the what was the worst of it? Because a lot of people say, oh, this is just online stuff. This is just Twitter or whatever. What was some of the worst stuff that you had? And, and I don't want to I don't want to bring up anything nasty, but if if you could just share that with us, so people could actually understand that this is real stuff. Sure. This is real real attack. I guess the the worst of it that I had was either people like actually camping out in front of where I lived after they got my home address. Um, and sending pictures of it to me, uh, kind of letting me know I couldn't go back there. Um, or uh, the fact that almost anybody with even a tenuous or even imagined connection to me became targeted the, the same way I did. Um, so I'd have to, I'm still meeting people that I have to like look in the face um, who are like, oh yeah, I remember Gamergate. Like they came after me because they thought I had something to do with you, you know, and they called my mom a bunch. And I'm like, what do you say to someone like that? It's hard not to. Mm-hmm feel horrible. And what do you think causes this? And this is a this is a cultural thing I think in gaming. What do you think has just caused this kind of this backlash? I wouldn't actually blame gaming at all for this. Uh, okay. because there's sort of been movements like this in just about every other industry cuz like after months and months of being attacked like this, I started sort of a grassroots organization to help other people who were targeted in similar ways. And we had people coming to us from everything from church, like church groups that were having a rivalry with other church groups who were participating in the same sort of behavior against them to, to like fight them back. Um, there was a recreational motor vehicle uh, thing that was like this. Like, <clears throat> it's not at all uh, limited to gaming. It's just the fact that 
Gamergate was more of a symptom of this like roiling undertone of menace and online hatred towards anybody who is different uh, than what the current mainstream sort of sees as the default person. Mm-hmm. So that's it's like one part fear of that. Um, I think another part just like feeling like, you know, if it's quote unquote your space and I this is like something I think that was particular to gaming, probably in other uh, other similar fields, but it's like you've got this core group of people who feels like this is their thing, like this is their turf. And then you've got people that are different from them and they're like, oh, clearly they're invaders and they feel threatened and defensive, so they attack. And the thing is, nobody ever thinks they're the bad guy when they participate in this. They think uh-huh. they're the, they're like the heroes that are protecting this thing they care about by driving out these like invaders or fake people that, you know, don't belong there. <laughs> and so so this is this seems like it's uh it, this has been this business has been happening uh across multiple uh places so you you're talking about churches you're talking about a automotive forum this stuff this sort of thing happens but what caused this particular thing to boil out of the internet i think one of the defining defining traits of the internet at this stage and even this decade is that it became it became it had a like a physical avatar it starts it starts affecting actual lives yeah. uh, whereas before if you're fighting on a, on a forum you're yeah you, you get angry and then you go to lunch whereas now it's like full bore it just it percolates and we got we got our politics out of that we got all sorts of exciting stuff out of that um what what happened recently that this is that's causing this um i think just the fact that we've sort of shifted away from the internet being this uh thing that took effort to get to and understand um, in the sense that, you know, having a web page or a personal website back in like, you know, even as long as 10 years ago took like some kind of effort and most people mm-hmm. didn't do it. And maybe it was a little bit weird if you had one. But now with social media, we're all kind of becoming more and more networked together. And I mean, it's at the point where it's like, even if you don't really consider yourself much of an internet user, your bank probably has an online account for you. You know, you've got, mm-hmm. it's like hard to actually be offline. Um, and I think that that's just going to uh, only ever increase, and especially with stuff like Twitter. Um, that has it's like a platform that is public facing, so you can interact with a lot of strangers, um, as opposed to Facebook, where you kind of have to know somebody or you have to be looking for someone. Um, I think we're just starting to really brush up against the fact uh, that you can hear and see so many people you wouldn't otherwise now, which is really cool, but we don't quite know how to handle it yet. Interesting. So, there, so this could be this is almost the equivalent of like a, a small town person heading into New York, uh, but the, but there's some sort of there's some sort of break uh, on bad behavior. There's a there's a, a regulator on bad behavior. If you come in from I don't know Scranton, Pennsylvania, and come to New York, you don't <laughs> you don't start pushing people on the street uh, because there's so many people around you. Is there is it is it just because it's so easy to do on online to to be weird? I think uh, I think the ease is one part of it. I also think it's like you get this access to somebody, like you see a photo of them or what something they've written, um, and we too easily, I think, equate that to knowing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet at the same time, it's like a, there's a very definitive dehumanization effect. Like my go-to example of this is after these people got my phone number, uh, I didn't change my number for a little bit um, because people would call up and if they weren't just immediately screaming threats and obscenities and stuff, they'd be like, is this Zoe Quinn? I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Do you just like, 
did you press a bunch of buttons and just hope that you got the name and the number right? Like randomly, like you called me. Yes, it's me. They're like, oh, you know your phone numbers on the internet, right? And I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm aware. They'd be like, oh. And then more often than not, the next thing that would happen would be, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Like they didn't, like, because there's that, that sort of, especially in our generation, because like who, who calls anybody anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, there's sort of that like intimacy to hearing someone's voice that you don't quite get um, if they're just text on a screen. Um, and even now, like if I, if I, I know a Twitter joke that I've done is particularly funny because I'll get an apology uh, message from a Gamergator that's like, oh no, you made me laugh. I didn't realize you're like a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that definitely helps. And especially... I think there's a certain mob mentality that's very easy to um, sort of overwhelm people that like see all of their friends like dogpiling on someone and they're like, oh yeah, me too. I want, you know, this is like a group activity now. And it's easy to get caught up in that. So, I mean, there, if we unpack what you just said, there are a few ways to, there are a few ways to make this better, I guess. Uh, but the problem is, is this, is the very media that, that allows uh, you or I, we can have this conversation on a podcast, but with the very media, this is this is a personal thing. We're talking as human beings to each other, but eventually this turns into a audio file, which is downloaded by a stranger who sees this and it says, oh, it's John Biggs, who's a jerk, or Zoe, who's who's doing this with Gamergate, all that other stuff. So it becomes, how do we, how do we personalize an interaction like this uh, that is designed to be broadcast, I guess? I think it's difficult to effectively do that. Uh, I think it's more that we have to disincentivize abusive behavior by making it boring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like making it take more effort and kind of slowing stuff down. Because uh, that's like one big thing I noticed um, a, a marked difference. And like to pick an example, and I'm not trying to pick on journalism as a whole here, but too often when a, uh, reporting on a controversial subject or one of those news stories that's like, hey, this person said a thing. Um, embedded tweets that are like directly in the article uh, mm-hmm. can lead to way more abuse than screenshots of the same thing. Because if it's just a screenshot, then somebody has to like go type in the thing, find it, and then yell at the person, as opposed to being able to just press a button and immediately yell at the person. Okay. And even just like slowing stuff down like that can do a lot to disincentivize abuse. All right, and I'll, I'll remember that next time I embed a tweet. I always embed, I, I, I try not to embed tweets that make people look bad, but I guess if uh, I'll keep doing that, that's a good idea. It's really so, good for supportive stuff. Like that, that's the inverse of it. It's like if someone's trying to promote something and it's really cool, that embedded tweets are great. Okay. So what's the future of this? What what do what do my kids have to to look forward to? My son's into Minecraft. He's he's on he's online. He's talking with folks from all over the world, uh, which is really exciting. Because if you think about that, I did we didn't have that when we were kids. We had we had a I had Atari Hitler XL, and it was connected to the to a BBS system. I had no way to connect to other other folks, but yeah. for them, it's essentially status quo. They as soon as that computer is turned on, it's online. How do mm-hmm. we prevent uh, a f- them from turning into gamergator style uh, abusers, and b how do, how can we avoid them being uh, victims to it? So it's sort of like a two part approach with sure. individuals, right? You've got the You've got education on what I've been calling digital hygiene, which is just like really getting people to think about things like privacy settings and what data there is about them out there um, and have them feel more in control of that. Because I think, you know, right now we're kind of conditioned to just sort of say you're signing up for a new account. How many times have you just like seen a user license agreement or terms of service thing and 
you know, saw the scroll bar and just hit accept. Because um, mm-hmm. that's the thing is like most people don't realize how much information there is on them being bought and sold. Uh, and that can even be without consent. Like your home address is probably online right now and you probably had nothing to do with that because we still have sort of these frameworks that are from the era of the phone book uh, that are sort of being ported into where we are now and it doesn't quite carry over as well because it's like there's too many things that are that run on this sort of you have to opt out if you don't want this and we kind of need to move stuff to a opt in if you do want this framework um so, so for example like when all this was starting to happen to me i didn't realize that my my home address and my phone number and all of this stuff was in a bunch of um what i call third-party information broker sites where they just uh-huh. compile all of this and give it uh put it in their publicly searchable databases so anybody can find it. And they, they usually link it to people they suspect of being your family member and stuff like that. So really, a lot of these sites have a hard time. With, it's very hard to get information off of there because they bought it and they make you jump through a bunch of hoops. Some is, some are like, fax a copy of your passport to this phone number or else we won't <laughs> remove it. And it's like asking someone to fax something in 2017 is like really screwed up. So... We need to work as adults to sort of start thinking about privacy less as has this information ever existed? Like, is, is it a, a kept secret, basically, versus uh, elevating one piece of information above everything else in a context it's not supposed to be in and a context that the person who the information essentially belongs to um, would not want to be uh, out there. Um, wow. So, and also in, in the meantime, while we work for change, it's like get, getting people empowered to think about like, okay, I can't just like, I, I probably shouldn't um, put my home address in a public tweet or something like that. Um, and like less obtuse than that, even just being like, yeah, I know it sucks to have multiple passwords across for every single um, account you have, but now there's stuff like password managers that let, that basically do that automatically for you, and then you only need to know one password for all of your passwords. Um, so digital hygiene like that, and practicing good stuff, and really getting people that are coming into this online space to have good habits from the start, because it's way harder to take something offline once it's online. Mm-hmm. So these sort of digital, basic digital self-defense things, and basic like how to be a better digital citizen. Like, do you really need to quote tweet someone if you have a ton of followers to tell them they're stupid? Like, can't you think one step ahead and see that maybe your followers will also yell at that person? Um, and I know I'm picking on Twitter a lot here, but like uh-huh. trying to teach our kids how to have that empathy for other internet users um, as we go, I think is going to do a ton to sort of diffuse that. Um, and similarly, uh, how to prevent people from becoming gamer gators, I think, is one of the biggest things I've seen with people that have performed out of these online abuse campaigns. Like, and that's kind of including myself. Like, when I was a teenager, I was a shitty troll. I, I harassed women specifically because I was a closeted a queer person in a rural town. Um, so I had all of that fun self-loathing in addition to all the Irish self-loathing, in addition to all of the, I don't look like these pretty beautiful women self-loathing, so I'm going to, you know, call them horrors and attack them and stuff like uh-huh. that. I never sent death threats or anything like that, but at the same time, it's, it's like, if Gamergate had happened when I was 15 to someone else, I probably would have bought into it and, and been, like, cheering on and spreading misinformation. So, you know... Like, because I, I had undiagnosed depression at that point, too. Um, 
so really anything that you can do to be involved with other people's lives and check in on them and bring them into the fold is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, see if someone's acting out on that beha- bad behavior, actually talking to them does uh, wonders. If they're, if you're someone in their life, they care about, that's one of the biggest dis- disincentivizers I've seen is like someone was behaving in this kind of crappy behavior. A lot of people in their life probably are enabling it because entire communities run on being crappy to other people. So having something to lose with someone they actually care about when it's like, Oh no, they're looking at me and they're not saying this is cool. Can do a ton even if like they don't change their mind overnight like you're planting the seed of doubt um which can do a lot to grow into people knocking it off um and even just for both sides uh whether you're worried about um your kids getting caught up as target or your kids being the perpetrator i think a big thing is under like going back to that early 90s thing of don't believe everything you read on the internet just because someone said it there. Because mm-hmm. we kind of, that's that's kind of gotten left behind. And especially in an era where at least people are, we have a term for fake news now, right? Where it's like, there's been internet hoaxes as long as there's been an internet. Sure. Um, we really get got to get people to stay critical and stay skeptical of stuff they see, whether it's about a person or, you know, geopolitical news articles. It's like, you need to like, be skeptical. Don't just see the headline and see that someone reported on it and assume it's true. You got to be like, okay, is this site a real thing? Is this just somebody talking smack about someone else? Like, and if you're not sure, then don't share it because if it doesn't spread, it's dead, right? Like, you got to be more critical about uh, engaging with stuff that you see online instead of just automatically assuming just because someone said it, it must be true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 90s what do we have we had we had uh vetted trusted news sources we had a newspaper that you held in your hand and a magazine that you held in your hand and presumably the stuff that ended up in there wasn't quote-unquote fake it might be like self-helpy or whatever but it's not it wasn't terrible whereas now everything you don't really have any vetted news source that's fascinating yeah so it's like really kind of take charge uh just even for yourself like just so that you know that you have a better core of understanding what is and is not true. Because I think that's like such an easy thing to get caught up in and lose if you ever get duped by this stuff. It's so easy to fall into this sort of despair of like, well, how can I know anything is true? It's like, you can do a little bit of investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I had a friend who was sharing this uh, weird, super weird news article about like these conjoined twins having a really specific legal argument that seemed a little bit like shocky. And I'm like, okay, this seems weird. I'm going to like actually look for a source on this because the, the article didn't link to any source and it's referencing a court debacle. So I like typed in the name of the um, website that it was on. And sure enough, Snopes was the first result. And I'm like, mm-hmm. OK, <laughs> all right, I've got this figured out. So even just something quick like that, it's like, all right, cool. I didn't it's give yourself a little bit of a pat on the head if you like didn't fall for a trick, I think. <laughs> right, excellent. Uh, why don't you tell us where the, the book is, what the book is called, where people can get it. Sure. The book is called Crash Override, How Gamergate Nearly Destroyed My Life and How We Can Win the Battle Against Online Hate. And it is available pretty much anywhere books are sold. Um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, independent booksellers, uh, Target and Walmart, I think, which is super weird for me to feel, oh, to see. Um, it's also available in Kindle and ebook format and audiobook format, which I did the narration oh, for. Oh, very cool. All right, great. Do you have a website that folks can go to? Yes, my website is unburntwitch.com. <laughs> Perfect. Zoe Quinn, thank you for joining me. This is, uh, this is some fascinating stuff. We never, uh, never get to talk about the social side of, uh, of the Internet, and I think this is going to be a, a big topic over the next couple of years. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Thanks, Zoe. 
Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter. Typewriter is your on-demand editor, and their amazing team of writers will make your book chapter, blog post, or email shine. Typewriter editors come from places like TechCrunch, Gizmodo, and the New York Times, and they offer low bulk rates for longer work. Check it out at typewriter.plus. That's typewriter.plus.